Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes depictions of domestic abuse, violence, and infanticide. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Daryl stopped to catch his breath as they reached the ridge halfway up the mountain. An ancient abandoned cabin loomed ahead of them with a caved-in roof and moss-covered walls. Fanny squealed excitedly that it looked like an old pioneer house. She grabbed Daryl's hand and begged him to explore it with her. Daryl glanced up at the full moon rising over the hills and said they should probably get back to campus. His cell phone was almost dead, and he didn't want to get lost up here in the dark. Fanny laughed and ran toward the cabin anyway. She shouted over her shoulder for him to stop being such a buzzkill. As they neared the little house, Daryl felt a chill run up his spine. The wind howling through the holes in the roof sounded strange and eerie, almost like a voice. As they got closer, the noise grew clearer. It sounded like a woman's screams. His stomach churned. Something about this didn't feel right. As Fanny approached the doorway, Daryl yelled for her to stop. Couldn't she hear the woman screaming? Fanny turned around, a look of apprehension flitting across her face. Daryl took another step toward the cabin, but a light flickered on in the window. He froze. He tried to warn Fanny, but his throat had gone dry. As he stared at the window's yellow glow, a monstrous figure appeared behind the lantern. Its eyes were empty holes, its decaying skin stretched tight over its skull. Finally, Daryl found his voice and screamed. Welcome to Haunted Places, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to Fayetteville, Arkansas. We'll dive into the tragic history of the place the locals referred to as Ghost Mountain and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Coming up, we'll hear about the violent history that still haunts Ghost Mountain. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Ghost Mountain sits at the western end of the Boston Range, a subset of the Ozarks that runs across northern Arkansas. The mountain itself is said to be just outside Fayetteville, somewhere southeast of a small airfield on the outskirts of the city. 
but no one knows for sure. Its exact location is something of a local secret. If you want to visit, you'd have to ask for directions from someone who lives nearby. And of course, there is no guarantee that you'd get them. But if you do find your way to Ghost Mountain, you'll be greeted by a craggy peak covered in a blanket of juniper and white pines. Near the base of the mountain, a few houses line a single-lane dirt road that leads into the woods. Go a little further up and you might find the remains of a long-forgotten cabin and the ancient stone well that stands in front of it. Some say that on a full moon, you might spot the woman who used to live there. She's long gone, but her screams still echo across the moonlit hillsides. Daisy bounced baby Harry on her hip as she crept up the front steps. She needed to keep him quiet, but as she slowly turned the doorknob, the rusty hinges creaked anyway. Daisy winced, praying she hadn't woken up her husband. Robert would be furious if he found out she'd taken the baby to the clinic. He thought vaccines polluted the blood and weakened the body. Initially, Daisy had honored his wishes, but then the Odell's little boy died of smallpox and the McConnell's new baby was taken as well. That's when Daisy decided that keeping Harry safe was more important than her husband's wishes. She tried her best to ensure that Robert would never find out. She'd planned to be back before he got home, but then she missed the bus and had to walk all the way back from Fayetteville. Now she just hoped he was still asleep. Daisy stepped into the dark cabin and a light flickered on from the other side of the room. Robert had been waiting for her. He spat onto the floor and asked where she'd been. Daisy recited the lie she'd rehearsed. Before she could finish it, he strode over and pulled up Harry's sleeve to reveal the injection mark. Robert growled that he didn't want to hear any more lies. Then Harry started to cry. Daisy begged her husband to keep his voice down. That really set him off. He said Daisy was corrupted. She was going to make their son weak and idle, and he wouldn't have it. This was the same fight they've been having for years now. Robert was stuck in the past, and Daisy wanted to move on to the future. Daisy had always wanted to live in a city, in a house with running water and electric lights. But Robert would be happy drawing water from the old stone well on the yard for the rest of his life. He wouldn't let her wear pants or go to dances, and he didn't understand why Daisy couldn't just be happy with the life she had. For a long time, she'd tried to be, but lately, he'd been getting worse. Suddenly, it wasn't just luxuries and modern conveniences that he hated. Now, he disapproved of necessities as well, like vaccines and doctors. Despite all that, Daisy couldn't bring herself to leave him. She wasn't deeply in love with Robert, but she knew she was safe with him. She had seen plenty of women take beatings from their husbands. Her own mother had. But she promised herself that she would never be one of them. Robert wasn't perfect, but he never laid a hand on her. At least, not yet. Daisy could feel Robert spit on her skin as he yelled into her face. Daisy raised a hand to wipe it off, and he caught her arm. For a moment, she just stared at the fingers gripping her wrist. Her pulse quickened. Robert was so angry, he wasn't acting like himself. For the first time in their five-year marriage, she actually felt afraid. Daisy pulled her arm away, 
telling him not to touch her. Robert's nostrils flared as he pulled back and slapped her. Daisy stumbled, afraid she might drop Harry. After a moment, she righted herself and raised a hand to her cheek. A welt stung at her touch, and tears came to her eyes. Then, Daisy thought of her mother and strengthened her resolve. Robert had finally hit her once. She wouldn't let him do it twice. Daisy turned to see him in the doorway, shrugging on his coat. She knew where he was headed. Whenever he was angry, Robert would see Ezekiel Collins, an old moonshiner who lived on the other side of the ridge. His was the only other house on the mountain, and he was always happy to share a bottle of his bitter corn whiskey. Robert would come back a few hours later and collapse into bed without a word. And the next morning, he'd act like nothing ever happened. Daisy waited till she was sure that he was gone. Then she ran to the bed and pulled up one of the loose floorboards underneath it. She lifted out an old cigar box and counted the cash inside. $45 exactly. Daisy had been saving for years. She always told herself it was an emergency fund, but deep in her heart, she knew what the money was really for, the day when she'd finally leave him. And that day had come. She knew she would have at least four hours before Robert got home. Daisy took her time sorting through her books and dresses, choosing what she would take with her and what she'd leave behind forever. She stuffed a canvas sack with bottles and diapers for Harry, and then packed up some food and a thermos of coffee for the road. She picked up the bag, then Harry. Then, finally, she paused in the doorway to take one last look at her home. There was a crash behind her. Daisy spun around and came face to face with her husband. He dropped a bottle of whiskey, shattering it on the front porch steps. He stared at her with rage in his eyes. He said he'd come back early to apologize. Daisy squared her shoulders and told Robert that he should never have slapped her. She stepped past him and strode across the porch. Robert demanded that she give him the baby. Daisy held Harry close and continued down the steps. Her heart pounded, but she was resolute. She wasn't going to let him stop her. Robert bellowed that he was going to do what it took to keep his child. Daisy's stomach tightened as she turned and faced him. His eyes were watery and bloodshot. He took a step toward her. Daisy told Robert that he was going to die alone on this mountain. He would waste away a miserable, drunken failure with nothing to live for. But she and Harry would be free. Robert's eyes flashed with rage, and Daisy realized that she'd gone too far. She backed up against the old stone well as Robert advanced on her. As he reached for the baby in her arms, Daisy realized that he wasn't trying to hurt her. He was trying to hurt the only thing she really cared about, Harry. Daisy held her child to her chest, but Robert was so much stronger. He pried her fingers off the baby and tried to pull him from her arms as she leaned back against the well, struggling to get away from him. All at once, Robert tore Harry from her grip, and the child went flying over the side of the well. Daisy shrieked in agony as her son disappeared, and his screams receded into the depths of the reservoir. Daisy didn't think. She just grabbed the rope attached to the well and leapt over the side. 
She braced herself against the slippery stone walls and climbed down into the darkness. She could hear Harry's cries echoing below her. Her pulse quickened as she felt odd vibrations run up the rope. She looked up and saw Robert silhouetted by the full moon. The rope slackened and suddenly she understood he was cutting her down. Daisy landed with a splash in the freezing cold water. She could hear Harry screaming, but she couldn't see him. Finally, her foot touched something on the stone floor. She knelt down and lifted up her son. He was motionless, and his little body was already cold. But if he was dead, why could she still hear him crying? She shook him and rubbed his chubby cheeks. His lips didn't move, but his cries were as loud as ever, each one slicing into her heart like a dagger. Daisy pressed the lifeless child to her chest and sobbed. A shape above her blocked out the light of the full moon. It was Robert pushing the well cover into place. Daisy yelled at the top of her lungs. She screamed until she was hoarse, but there was nothing she could do. Robert closed the well and Daisy was submerged in darkness. She was trapped down there, alone with the body of her child and the terrible echoes of his cries. Today, there are modest homes dotting the lower slopes of Ghost Mountain, but in the early 1930s, there were only a few families living in the area. One of these was a pair of newlyweds who lived in a one-room cabin with their infant son. According to legend, the husband was a violent alcoholic, and one night, he came home blind drunk and woke the baby. The man demanded that his wife make the infant stop crying, and when she couldn't, he threw the infant into the well in the front yard. The desperate mother jumped in after her child, and in a fit of rage, the man cut the rope she could have used to escape. He then covered the well and left the mountain for good, leaving her there to die along with their son. According to legend, on nights when the moon is full, you can still hear her screaming for help, pleading for mercy from a husband who's long gone. Coming up, Robert descends into a nightmarish world of his own making. Every so often, something so impactful happens, it has the power to capture the attention of a whole country. An event so deadly or dumbfounding, it has no choice but to live on in infamy. Hi, Parcasters. It's Ashley Flowers, and I'm exposing the most sinister cases from the darkest corners of the globe in my new True Crime Limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, come along as I guide you on a wicked world tour. 15 different countries, 15 infamous crimes. Take a trip to Iceland where six people confessed to a murder that never actually happened. Journey to Mexico where a Lucha Libre wrestler moonlights as a serial killer. And travel to New Zealand where two friends hatch a deadly plan to become famous. Each episode of International Infamy explores the twists and turns of a notoriously high-profile case, zeroing in on the cultural details which make the crime unique to its location, and explaining why it couldn't have happened anywhere else. 
Follow my new Spotify original from ParCast, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers, and catch a new episode every week. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. The socioeconomic landscape of the Ozarks in the early 1930s was bleak to say the least. The 1929 stock market crash caused the economy to go into a tailspin, and many were forced into subsistence farming. Then, a devastating drought in 1930 led to famine, starving the rural poor. Many fled the area, traveling west in search of work. Those left behind became more isolated than ever. There was little to eat and no work to be had. The desperation of the era was too much for some people. Their minds broke. And before long, they descended into darkness. Robert's head spun as he watched his wife disappear into the depths of the well. He had to do it. She'd given him no choice. If he couldn't have Harry, then no one would. Robert was so drunk he could barely stand. He could still hear Harry crying although he couldn't see anything breaking the calm surface of the water. But Daisy was clinging to the rope, trying to climb out. It was impossible to think clearly, but he did know one thing. If Daisy got out of that well, she was going to leave with his son. Robert's heart pounded. He had to stop her from escaping. He grabbed his pocket knife, seized the rope, and started cutting. The moonlight illuminated Daisy's face as she looked up at him. For a moment, she furrowed her brow in confusion. Then, as Robert sawed through the last fibers, her features contorted into horror. As her body hit the water, Daisy's head slammed against a large stone that jutted out from the wall. There was a terrible crack, and then she went still. Robert suddenly felt very unsteady. The world spun. He slid the well cover in place, then sank down beside the stone wall. He only had a moment to think about what he'd done before his vision faded and he descended into blackness. Robert awoke hours later on the ground next to the old stone well. His head pounded and he shivered in the damp chill of the early morning. He got unsteadily to his feet He'd been so drunk, all he could remember were screams and a fight. Daisy had been there. There were footprints in the mud around the well. Suddenly, it all came rushing back, throwing Harry, cutting the rope, watching Daisy die. Robert was seized by panic and adrenaline. He pushed the cover off the well, then leaned over the old reservoir. Down below was Daisy. Her neck was bent at an odd angle. In the dark, Robert could barely see white shards of bone sticking out from her flesh. Robert looked away in horror 
He couldn't face this. He just wanted to make it go away. He seized the well cover and pushed it back into place. Robert took a deep breath. He could pretend this hadn't happened. There was a time when he'd lived in this cabin alone and he'd been fine. He could go back to that solitude. Tomorrow, he'd dig a new well. He would cover this one up with brush so he would never have to look at it again. Robert turned away from the well and headed back toward the cabin. First, he needed rest. As he climbed the steps to the front porch, a powerful gust of wind blew past. It scraped the juniper tree's limbs across the tin roof and howled through the house's eaves. Robert paused on the doorstep. There was something buried in the cacophony of sound. His pulse quickened. That was his wife's voice, crying out for help. It echoed in the distance, as though it came from far away. Robert turned and looked back toward the well. His mind flooded with panic. He had seen her broken neck and the dark bloom of her blood in the water. She was dead. Soon, another cry joined Daisy's, the high-pitched wail of an infant. Robert's stomach lurched. Harry. Maybe he was still alive down there. Robert ran back to the well and heaved the cover off. All at once, the voices stopped. He could see the bones sticking up from Daisy's neck. Only now she was holding something. She hadn't been before, had she? Robert ran back to the house and grabbed the lantern sitting in the window. He dangled it down into the well, and the warm yellow light illuminated the thing in Daisy's arms. Robert leaned away from the well and vomited. It was Harry's body. It looked bloated and blue, like a corpse that had been floating in the water for a very long time. Robert grabbed the cover and heaved it back into place. Whatever happened, whatever he heard, he was never looking in there again. Robert ran back to the house and crawled into bed. He shut his eyes and ordered himself to forget Daisy. He didn't want her anyway. She'd never been right for him. She was lazy, and she'd always hated doing things by hand, the old-fashioned way. He would pretend that it was five years ago. He'd never met Daisy. He'd never had a child. And he was perfectly happy. Robert repeated this over and over again in his head. Eventually, his eyelids grew heavy. An owl hooted outside, and the sound of crickets swelled in the grass. Robert's eyes flew open. There were screams buried in the crickets chirping. The anguished cries of his wife and child mingled with the nighttime music of the mountainside. Robert pressed his fingers into his ears, but he could still hear them. He tried blocking out the noise with cotton and candle wax, but nothing worked. He laid there, his eyes wide with terror, wondering if he would ever have peace again. As the eastern sky turned pink, the screams of Robert's wife and child finally faded. It was too late to go back to sleep, so Robert made himself a cup of coffee and headed outside. Bile rose in his throat as soon as he caught sight of the well. Robert averted his eyes and piled brush against the stones. 
He would hide the well from view, and once it was gone, the voices would stop. He would never look at it again, and everything would be just the way it used to be. Once the well was completely hidden, Robert set to work digging a new one. By the time he finished, the sun was just beginning to set. His whole body ached, and his head pounded. Robert collapsed into bed and began to fall asleep as soon as his head hit the pillow. That was when he heard it. The night before, the sound had been faint enough that he could almost pretend he was imagining it. Tonight, it was louder. Daisy called out to him, screaming in pain, begging for him to help her. Robert clutched his head and pleaded for the sounds to stop, but there would be no peace for him. Not that night or any night after. Robert's existence became unbearable. The days were an endless blur of exhaustion. But as soon as the evening light faded was when the true horror nightmare began. The screaming began as soon as he closed his eyes, and every night it grew louder and more desperate. Robert lay awake until dawn, sweating and trembling. He didn't know what was worse, the thought that he was going mad, or the possibility that he wasn't. The only way to numb the pain was by drinking. As soon as the sun went down each night, he went to Ezekiel's cabin and drank until he could barely stand. He knew that when he went home again, he'd still be able to hear the screams. But if he was lucky, he might pass out. For at least a few hours, he could be blissfully oblivious. Things might have gone on like that if it weren't for something the old moonshiner said to him. It was nearly six weeks after Daisy's death. Robert was sitting on Ezekiel's front porch when the old man asked if he was doing all right. Robert paused. Obviously, he couldn't tell him about what had happened, but maybe this was a chance for him to unburden himself a little. Robert took a deep breath and asked Ezekiel if he believed in ghosts. The old man chuckled. He told Robert that he didn't think spirits stuck around to plague the living. They didn't need to. The living did just fine, plaguing themselves. Most of the time, he said, the people who thought they saw specters were really just seeing their own ghosts, people they couldn't let go of or things they felt guilty about. If folks could learn to face what they were afraid of, then maybe all those spirits would disappear. Robert nodded slowly. The old guy was probably just drunk, but there was something about his comment that rang true. Robert hadn't even looked at the well since the day he covered it up. Maybe he should prove to himself that the only things inside it were old bones. Maybe that was what he needed to do, if he was ever going to rest easy again. That evening, when Robert stumbled back to his cabin, he headed for the pile of brush that had sat on his front lawn for weeks. He threw it aside, uncovering the old stone well. Robert's heart pounded, and his stomach tied into a knot. But he had to do this. He took a deep breath and heaved the slate covering off the well. Robert kneeled down beside the reservoir and peered into it. He breathed a sigh of relief. There was nothing there. It was just a dark, empty hole. A chill ran up his spine. It was an empty hole. Daisy's body wasn't down there. 
Then, he felt an icy hand on his shoulder. Robert spun around, and his blood went cold. Daisy stood behind him. A white film covered her blue eyes, and chunks of rotting flesh hung loose from her face. She had a deep gash through her lip, and Robert could see maggots wriggling inside it. He wanted to scream and run away, but he couldn't move. Daisy's voice whispered in his ear. She said that he'd wanted them all to stay on the mountain forever. Well, now they would. Daisy put her rotting hands on his chest and gave him a hard shove. As Robert tumbled down into the well, the last thing he saw was the bloated corpse of his own son floating in the water below him. It's hard to know the true origin of the legend behind Ghost Mountain's hauntings, but it may be an amalgamation of two horrific crimes that occurred in western Arkansas during the summer of 1930. In one, authorities accused a 55-year-old war veteran of throwing his wife down a well and leaving her there to die. The other happened around the same time. A 60-year-old man killed his wife and daughter in their remote mountain cabin. He then set the house on fire and fled. It's easy to see how local gossip may have conflated these two crimes into a single story about a man who threw his wife and child into a well before skipping town. Whether these murders inspired the legend of Ghost Mountain or not, the three tales share a common theme. Men can do terrible things when they think no one will ever find out. These murderers often slip through the cracks in the justice system. But just because they aren't punished by a judge and jury doesn't mean they won't get what they deserve. Coming up, angry spirits bring a father and daughter to the brink of death. Now back to the story. Even today, the rural regions outside Fayetteville, Arkansas are still fairly insular communities. Locals are reluctant to give directions to Ghost Mountain or even mention the legend behind it. But those who are willing to talk claim to have heard ghostly screams echoing through the woods and seen the specter of a woman wandering across the mountain. One visitor even shared a picture that appears to show a ghostly hunchbacked woman making her way through the dry yellow grass. The locals might be wary of showing the place to outsiders, but the ghosts themselves are not afraid to make their presence known. Bob gazed up at the overgrown trail in front of him. The last rays of sunlight were disappearing beyond the mountains, and the sky was turning an inky blue. He called out for his daughter, Nancy, but of course there was no response. He sighed. This had been one of their worst fights yet. Nancy had all these crazy ideas. She wanted to move to the city so she could spend her time with her drug-smoking hippie friends and work at their food co-op. Bob had told her that if she wanted to leave the mountain, that was her choice. But if she was going to protest Nixon and make an absolute fool of herself, then she was no daughter of his. That made Nancy furious. She'd called him a hate-mongering fascist stuck in the past and stalked off into the woods. 
Bob climbed up a steep slope to a flat ridge and stopped in his tracks. There was a cabin up there, right in the center. Bob had been here dozens of times, but he'd never seen this building before. It looked like it had been there for decades. A thick layer of rust stained its corrugated tin roof, and moss crept over the wooden walls. A light flickered in the window, and he could see brown liquid dripping from a bottle on the front steps. A chill ran up Bob's spine. He told himself that he must have gotten lost. He must be on some other part of the mountain, one he'd never been to before. Bob called out for Nancy, and a voice replied that there wasn't anyone named Nancy there. A burly man in his late 20s stepped into the doorway. His eyes were bloodshot, and he looked exhausted. Bob paused for a moment, taking in the strange man. Then he explained that he'd just been looking for his daughter. She'd run away, and he thought she might have come up the mountain. The man took a swig from the bottle in his hand. He said that women had a habit of doing that, didn't they? Bob laughed and said he supposed they did. The man stuck out a hand, introduced himself as Robert, and asked Bob if he wanted to come in for a drink. Bob thanked him, but declined. He should probably look for his daughter. Robert raised an eyebrow and asked him if he thought she was out there running all around the mountain worrying about him. Bob chuckled. The man was right. And now that he thought of it, an ice-cold beer would hit the spot. Bob followed Robert into the one-room cabin. There was a little pot-bellied stove, an old-fashioned wash basin, and a few old rabbit skins hanging on the wall. There was no fridge and no electric lights that Bob could see. The place didn't even seem to have a bathroom. Robert poured a few fingers of whiskey into a dirty glass and handed it to Bob. As Bob took the drink, he noticed that Robert's skin had a grayish tint to it. It was like all the blood had drained away, except in the man's prominent blue veins. Bob coughed nervously and told Robert he liked his place. Robert spat on the floor and said it wasn't anything much, but it was traditional. He liked things simple, the way they should be. Bob told Robert that he couldn't agree more. In fact, that's why he was looking for his daughter, to convince her to stay on the mountain. Robert nodded. It was then that Bob realized his eyes had a strange film over them. It almost seemed like it was getting thicker, obscuring the man's green irises under a murky white cloud. Robert took another sip of whiskey, then told Bob that his wife was like Bob's daughter. She had wanted to leave for the city and have all sorts of modern conveniences. She just couldn't be happy with what she had. She was weak. Bob gave a slow nod. Bob had said the same things to his daughter just a few hours before, but suddenly they didn't make much sense anymore. Coming out of Robert's mouth, they sounded wrong. Robert said that it was a man's right to do what he wanted with his wife and with his child. That's when Bob noticed the strip of skin peeling from Robert's cheek. Another was coming off his arm. Bob asked if there was something wrong with him, but Robert just kept going. He said that if Bob didn't want his daughter leaving, she shouldn't be able to. She was his property. At least that's how it was in the old days. Robert smiled, revealing blackened, rotting teeth. His gums were green and filmy, as if they were decomposing before Bob's eyes. Bob stood up from his chair and started backing away. He remarked that he had to be getting back home now. 
but Robert followed him out the cabin door. He asked Bob why he didn't stay and have another drink, or was everything he said about simple living a lie? Bob suppressed a scream as a long, wet strip of gray flesh peeled off Robert's face. All the while, Robert kept stepping closer. If Bob didn't do something now, he said, Nancy would walk all over him. Better the two of them stay there with Robert and learn how to live the old-fashioned way. Bob kept moving backwards until he bumped into the low stone wall of the well in the front yard. For a moment, the two men just looked at each other. Then, Robert gave him a terrifying smile. He said he knew how to make Bob stay. Robert came hurtling toward him with his arms outstretched. Bob ducked, but Robert was able to stop himself from pitching over the side of the well just in time. In that moment, Bob made a run for it, but he only made it a couple of steps before Robert grabbed the bottom of his shirt and pulled him back toward the well. Bob's heart pounded in his chest as his heels slid backwards in the dirt. He frantically worked to unbutton his shirt. Finally, when the last one was undone, he flung his arms back and bolted. Robert pulled the shirt off Bob and went wheeling backwards, straight over the stone well behind him. Bob stopped in his tracks, trying to slow his panicked breaths when he heard a familiar voice behind him. He looked up to see Nancy. She crossed her arms and asked what the heck was he doing? Bob stuttered out that there was a man or a corpse or something in the well. Nancy walked over to the stone reservoir and glanced down. She said it looked empty to her. Bob hesitated, then took a few tentative steps back to the well. He peered down at the black water below, but there was nothing there. Nancy said she was still mad, but she was glad he was all right. Bob looked at the ground and thought about what Robert had said to him. He remembered the hateful gleam in his eye. He didn't want to be like Robert. Bob told Nancy that he was sorry he'd yelled at her. If she wanted to move to Fayetteville, maybe that wasn't so bad. Nancy raised her eyebrows and asked what had happened to him. Bob said he wasn't sure, but they should go home. They should leave the past behind and move on into the future. The city of Fayetteville has long been a hub of culture and education. Today, it's a bustling modern city, the third largest in the entire state of Arkansas. But venture just a little outside the metropolitan area, and things begin to look very different. Paved boulevards turn to dirt roads, and the orderly gardens of city parks become the wild vegetation of the mountainside. Some people prefer a rural life, and they can't stand the constant change in the city. Out in the rolling hills of the Ozarks, it's easy to feel like the progress of the future never happened. Some people like that. They want a slower life, a smaller world with fewer distractions. But for others, it can be stifling. If you hold someone captive in the past, what was once a paradise can start to feel like a prison. Perhaps the spirits of Ghost Mountain feel that way, like they are trapped in a small dark well, crying out for help that will never come.
Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Zoe Luisa Lewis, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Alex Garland. Fact-checking by Amber Hurley and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Greg Polson. Hi, listeners. It's Ashley Flowers, and here's a quick reminder to check out my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, I'm taking you across the globe to look at 15 of the most notorious crimes from 15 different countries. Some stories are sure to shock, some may leave you stumped, but all are quite the trip. Follow my new series, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.